Hello, hello, it's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Black lives matter. We've been saying that, we've known it, but black beauty experiences also matter. These past few weeks have been exhausting, particularly for black people. But I want to be very clear, this hasn't just been a rough two weeks. It's been tough for years and generations And we're still battling against the same systematic oppression, racial violence, and injustice that many of our parents and grandparents fought for. Now, many people are just waking up, specifically our allies, and asking what can be done. Now, true allies know that they have to do the work on their own. They can't put the burden and onus on people of color to fix but essentially was not created by them. Allies know that they need to unlearn years of programming and invest in dismantling white supremacy and the status quo. A book that I do recommend for allies is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. You can find the ebook online as well. It's also important to say that it's not enough to not be racist. We all need to be anti-racist to invest time and energy into fighting racism in every sphere of influence we have. Don't think that it's not your place if you're not a person of color. You can do a lot. And these things are uncomfortable, but you can talk to your family members. You can speak up at work and ask what they're doing to hire more Black people. Or if you're in a hiring position, go out of your way to recruit Black people. Your company will be better for it. And this message is for everyone. Know that you don't have to be in a leadership position at a company to use your voice. We can all use our voice in big and small ways every single day. People who follow me on the Instagram account, Naked Beauty Planet, know because I screenshot this all the time, but when these skincare and beauty brands gift me product or when they decide to advertise on the show, the first thing I do is I go to their page and I see what their representation is like. I go on their website and I see if they're using black models. And if they aren't, I make sure to make my opinion known. Hey, I love your product, but I'd love to see this highlighter shown on some girls who look like me because I'm on your site now and you don't have anyone darker than Rihanna's complexion on here. So I would have I would have never known that this highlighter looks good against my deep brown skin. This is a problem for me. Trust me when I say they will listen to you. As beauty buyers, we all have the power to slide into a brand's DMs and let them know that you'd like to see more diversity on their feeds. And if nothing changes, feel free to share that you'll no longer be supporting their brand because of it. Now, I talk to so many incredible Black women who have their own products and try to elevate them as much as possible, both here on the podcast and on my page at Naked Beauty Planet. But there are incredible, incredible Black-owned beauty brands that you can support as well. I'll link to a great resource that guest on the show, Julie Wilson, just published recently for Cosmo of all of the top and best Black beauty brands. And I talk about representation because it's evident when a brand does not have that representation in their social and on their site. But the next level 
is understanding who are the black people behind the scenes, because I've always said that representation in front of the camera is not enough. I want to know that there are black people at your company that are in decision making roles. So I've made the personal commitment when I have founders and owners and people that work in beauty corporate on the show, especially white guests, to ask them how they're using their position and privilege to uplift and hire black women. I'm also going to continue to use this podcast to amplify and share black stories. Some of you guys have been rocking with this podcast for years. I see you and I love you. And some of you are brand new here. Just know that Naked Beauty has always been about telling stories from the women that I admire. And so many of those women I admire are incredible Black women. So today is all about us, the Black women who have come on the show with so much vulnerability, so much honesty and openness and shared their experiences around grappling with their own beauty, working in the beauty industry and claiming their beauty as their own. I hope you enjoy it. We'll take a short break for an ad and then we'll get right in to the conversations. Thank you guys for listening. And when I wake up, I recognize you looking at me. For you'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts, not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. So the first women that you're going to hear from are women that are working at major publications like Marie Claire like Vogue, the ones that are doing the work and creating spaces for Black women to be recognized through their work. First, we'll hear from Maya Allen, who's just incredible. She's at Marie Claire, followed by Akili, who's really at the start of her career as an associate beauty editor at Vogue. And just she shares what keeps her going and what keeps her motivated when the work gets hard. I think that it's so important and vital that we are recognizing the power of diversity, but honestly, when I entered into the industry, there were so few editors of color and so few spaces for us yeah. that were already carved out to thrive in. Mm -hmm. It was like I had to be in these spaces and create them for myself yeah. and sort of. I always loved Essence magazine. I always loved Ebony. But what about the other magazines? Like, can right. they also recognize right. our greatness? They need us too. It's right. like we shouldn't be excluded from the narrative. We should truly take up space in these rooms as well. Absolutely. And so I was really moved to go to these major magazines and just make them black as fuck. The most fulfilling part of beauty is 
beauty in a cultural context, mm-hmm. beauty in the way that it connects the culture and connects our people and tells the stories that we've always wanted to tell. Yeah. I always felt excluded from the narrative. Yes. I felt like my skin tone, my curves, my hair texture, which I wear so many different ways. It hasn't been at the forefront of the media until now, until the last few years, I yes. think, which we are at a great place, but there's still so much more work. So much more work. Done. We are not even nowhere near dead. But I think what keeps me going definitely is being a woman of color in that space right. and being able to highlight women of color. Right. And, you know, the times and days where I'm like, whew, I'm tired and mm-hmm. I just want to give up like anything else. Yeah. That is what keeps me going because that's what got me started. Yes. I mean, I'm a woman of color and, and growing up, I think to answer your other question too, like growing up, I was in love with beauty and fashion and magazines, but also not seeing yourself in them. Right. Takes a toll. So now being in the position where I can sort of redirect that, obviously I'm like you said at the start. So I have a long way to go and I'm learning constantly every day. But I think that's what keeps me going and keeps me excited and motivated. Yeah. So, and it's, yeah. and it's also great that you are willing to accept that burden because I yeah. think that <laughs> it's just, it, it's kind of a reality of being a person of color in a space where there aren't many of us that you do yeah. have to, I mean, you, you can resist it, but eventually you have to come to terms with the fact that it's bigger than you and that Mm -hmm. you have an obligation to represent for the people that aren't in those spaces. So it's great that so early on you're like, yeah, this is why I'm here. This is what's going to push me through. I mean, yeah, I think it gives me purpose. I think, yeah, there, there are some days where I'm like, oh my God, this is a lot of weight. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then I'm also like, this is what I'm interested in. This is what I love. What would I want to see? You know? Right. So I think that kind of loosens those reins a little yeah. bit. One of the things that comes up on the show very often is the experience of kind of standing out as a Black woman when you grow up in a predominantly white space and how that shapes your experience and understanding of beauty. I hear a lot from guests about wanting to fit into European beauty standards but also things like navigating our hair and maybe you have a hairstyle that's celebrated in your own culture, but it may not be valued in a more predominantly white space. We're going to hear from Nana on this first, who talks about colorism and her experience growing up as Ghanaian American. And then we're also going to hear from the amazing Kimberly Drew. She goes by at Museum Mammy. You guys should follow Nana and Kimberly. They're both incredible women doing amazing things. So let's hear their stories. This was the first time when I was in, it was like fifth grade. I was like, wow, I'm the only black woman here. And not only that black girl here, but not only that, it's like, I'm the only dark skin black mm. girl here. Right. Mm. So I stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, like, and I was tall. Right. Yeah. Um. So people would be like, where are you from? Like you're African, right? Like you're so dark and all these, like, you know, the typical thing, African booty scratcher. Like I really got picked really? on about my skin color. Yeah, for for the longest time. And that was the same time that I started wearing like hair extensions. You know, I thought colored contacts were cool, like whatever oh, wow. would. Make and unfortunately, like, yeah, exactly. Make me assimilate, but also like the Eurocentric features, right? Like that straight hair, the light eyes really tried to like change my image because mm. I thought like that would make me feel cool, right? Or feel pretty or feel beautiful. Wow. So, yeah, like you said, like I had to assimilate to where I was and. 
at such a young age, I was so pure and I didn't know, like, I didn't have anything to look at to tell me that I was beautiful. And this was perfectly normal to be a brown skinned woman with curly hair. So that was Nana. Next, we'll hear from Kimberly. I went from a very black middle school in Newark, New Jersey, which is actually really where I would say my greatest articulations of like the beauty that I idolized were developed. Mm. It was like lip gloss and like <laughs> perfectly manicured brows. And, you know, like it was like the Jersey dress era. Like, yes. There was nothing more beautiful to me than like, you know, kind of like Maya in the best of me video. Oh, of course. That Iconic. was it. Right. Yeah, like that, that was, was that was it. That, that was, was peak. <laughs> my, my self-esteem was built back from that image. Yes. Yes. Or like black on the cover of that album. And so I have these ideas of what I thought beautiful was. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up in like wasp central. In right, zest, yeah. where it's like tiny and thin and neatly Blonde. manicured and brown hair is exotic, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so it was a shock to the system because I was like, wait, 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 wait. Like, why are small butts valuable here? You know, like right. just those weird things. Where yeah. You're like, oh, we have this completely different value system. Right. Neither right nor wrong. We just are coming at all these things very differently. Right. And it was hard to be there because. I'd come from this very black upbringing, mm-hmm. not living up to what I believed to be black beauty standards. And then I was like, now I have this whole new set to contend with right. this is bullshit. And so it was a real rough journey for me. It really was. I didn't think of myself in any proximity to beauty for a really long time. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and I was learning all these things, you know, and I, I'm, it's so lovely for me now to find myself in more of these kinds of avenues because I feel like for most of my life, yeah, I've been learning and obsessed with art and fashion and culture and all these things obsessed with beauty Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but it was only recently that i started feeling more acquainted with it just because of that extreme shift so when i was in middle school actually was when i decided i wanted to get locks okay oh wow ahead of your time like yeah i guess so yeah also in jersey it was like very like it wasn't as uncommon okay and i remember going to this other kid in my class and was like, I think I want to do this. We weren't even like, I didn't even have that many friends then, but he was like a person in my math class, whatever. And I was like, I think I want to get locks. And he's like, you look so ugly. (gasps) Mm -hmm. How dare he? And because I was an eighth grader, I just believed him, you know, I was just like, well, I guess yeah, I won't do this thing. (laughs) And then I got to high school and because I was away from home, I had a lot of cornrows and braids. Yeah. Oh, I loved them too. I had like Iverson braids and the the whole nine, but of course, in New England beauty standards, mm-hmm. far from it, right? right. Um, and then I m- maneuvered over to like box braids. And then I finally had Marley twists. And that was when I was like, okay, I do need to just lock my hair. Yeah. Because this is the look that I want to go for. Yes. And I want it to be mine. And I want it to be mine. Yeah. yeah very much so. It was a transition because I cut my hair off to do it. And so I was, oh. my hair was really short before. At what age? Some people, some people will lock them with their hair longer already yeah. or some sort of fro. You started um, from scratch. I started from scratch because my hair was permed. Okay. And so I went from perm to big cut or big chop. Big chop, and yeah. And um, big cut. That's how far I am from it. <laughs> um, into into locks through how, college. I remember like I was dating someone at the time and I remember lots of like earrings. Like I felt like I had to have like big earrings all the time mm. in my big chop face because I think I was so used to having hair as like mm-hmm. this shield. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it like for you? The same. 
Uh-huh. It was like big hoops all yeah. day. Yeah, every day. My mother hated it. She's <laughs> like, your hair is too short for these earrings that are so big. I just remember getting to this argument with her and I was like, but I need something. Yeah, I need something dangling. Some like weight on this part of my body or I just, I feel obtuse. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I cut my hair off and I think it was such a, like thinking about it now with all this distance, it was such a profoundly important thing to do mm-hmm. because it also, there's something about that big chop that requires you to look at yourself. Yes. Because it's just such a modernity, right? Like we look at ourselves more than anybody else. Yep. And when that drastic of a shift happens, that's why people melted down on AMTM because it's like, Oh my God. You know, that, yes. you know, that moment and you're just like, this is not how I know myself. Yes. Um, and so beyond like natural hair journey, because I think sometimes it's siphoned into that for many black, mm-hmm, black femmes, mm-hmm. but just this shift in the way that like you've been looking at yourself. Absolutely. Um, and I think that the boarding school experience more than anything else made me surveil my body so much mm-hmm. that by the time it came to this like big, robust change, I was just a little bit in shock. And then as it started to grow out, just got really into it. There's also something about locking your hair because it is such a tactile experience. Like yeah. I rolled my own hair for a oh, long wow. time. And so checking in with each piece of your hair every six weeks puts you really close to it. Right. Versus being having it in braids or under like where you really you're so disconnected from what's going on. Yeah. Or you go into the hair salon. Yeah. Someone else just does it. Yeah. Yeah. And and those spaces can be so complicated, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> hair shame, hair shame. Yeah. Uh, like I would go into a beauty salon and like dissociate for two hours, come out with box braids. Like, oh, yeah. Very different than yeah. me sitting on, you know, whatever my mom's couch, retwisting right. my locks. So loving our hair, loving our natural hair is something that comes up time and time again. Here's Madison Udenthal talking about this very topic. I was blonde for almost two years, which is unheard of. And (laughs) I loved it. And then it got to a point where I said to myself, am I dyeing my hair blonde for the right reasons? Is this just another way for me to not have to deal with my hair as is? Is this another excuse to say I have damaged hair or hair that needs repair or hair that I can't do this with Mm. or I can't do that with? And I just got to this point where I was like, you know what? Go back to black (laughs) and always dye your hair back to black. Learn how to take care of your hair. Love your hair. Appreciate the history behind what it means to have black hair. Yes. And then, of course, there are experiences we have dealing with racism. Sometimes the racism is covert, but sometimes it's overt. Giada shares an example of this being overt working at L'Oreal. But she also shares her experience dealing with racism at beauty brands she's worked for more generally. Really interesting to hear her take on this. We had an offsite meeting. Okay. And we were talking about Kardashian braids. We were talking, they called it the Kardashian braids. And, like, and by Kardashian braids, you boxer, mean? They were calling the box oh, braids. Oh, cornrows. cornrows. Yeah. <laughs> so again, my mom, she was in, in Harlem and has a braiding shop. So this is very near and oh, wow. dear to yeah. me. My mom literally has a braiding shop on 125th Street and has been doing this for 30 years. So there's it, today is not the day you tell me that Kim Kardashian <laughs> invented boxer braids. Exactly. Um, so we're talking about social media. And then um, we were talking about a pin, a particular pin. And, you know, this girl was like really fighting for like, oh, I don't care if it's cornrows. You know, Kim Kardashian made it famous. Let's just hold <gasps> into it. And Brooke, I swear to God, I I had the in a body experience. John, what you going to do? What you going to do, daughter? What you going to do? What you going to say? And I was actually quiet. I'm like, you know, I'm going to pick and choose my battles. I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to do this. And for some reason, God's like, nope, you're going to do this. <laughs> 
And this girl kept provoking me, like, you know, Donna, like people are being too serious, blah, blah, blah. Before Trump was elected. Oh my God. And the she, inner voice of our ancestors was yes, like, was drumming in my soul, you, like, like Jada, do something because you have a responsibility. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this girl called me the N word. No, she didn't. In a corporate setting, called me the N word in front of my entire group of <gasps> colleagues. Brooke, are you, are you feeling this? Are you feeling? Because it's one thing to talk about this damn I'm, pin. I'm horrified. I'm like, forget about the pin. Girl, what you say? A white, a white girl. She was not white. She was actually Puerto Rican. Okay, not um, black. She was non-black, but then she tried to justify it, saying, "Oh, girl." Was she saying it? Had- she was trying to say it like it's not that serious, like right N word. I'm like, wait, oh, hold up, come on, in at, front L'Oreal. Of, at L'Oreal, at L'Oreal, at L'Oreal headquarters in New York, headquarters in New York. Wow, in front of my white colleagues. Wow, and like it just from there, I'm like, oh, I cannot be here anymore. <laughs> my soul won't even let like. F a, F a social media, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, my God. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. Like, a lot of things like that happen. And again, this is my personal experience. I'm no, not saying yeah. this is everyone's But a experience. lot of times the racism is under the surface. Oh to have God. it <laughs> rise up like that is I, insane. I, I'm like, what about me had, had me provoke this woman to yes. say this so readily to my <gasps> face and just test me? And God was like, do what you're going to do, Jada. Racism is deep. Yeah. So, like, even from, like, it's almost become innate for some brands. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, all these all these brands are going to back to the same factories, the same chemists. Really? And like these chemists are formulating for people that are generally not us. Mm. Um, so when you're thinking about the ordinaries of the world and while they're great, like probably 20% vitamin C is probably not good for your skin because now you're inhibiting m- m- like melanin mm. and you're kind of, borderline the bleaching space mm. um so not one size fit all works for everyone that was very shocking to me and then from a marketing standpoint those clinical trials honey they're not all they're not inclusive of everyone that's like the actual right. you know population so it's like 75 percent of women thought that their lashes or, or their skin you know improved with dryness and all these things i'm like okay well but who's on the board right and it's only 32 people but there's only one woman of color and right. she happens to have dry skin that's not my experience that's not right. my skin type so from a marketing standpoint you're so quick to grab these things but you'll be so surprised how many people do not do the due diligence of having a diverse set of individuals represent wow. these statistics so that was scary and lastly this is the story of my life but just diversity as a facade like no i'm sick of this i'm sick of it when yeah. i do interviews now i literally ask people like okay what how many people of color are on your executive board who are making these decisions um i'm not talking about just a campaign or two or like a few skews to be like oh here you go but like having a diverse like point of view from the very beginning from formulation which i now understand Mm -hmm. all the way down to marketing all Mm -hmm. the way down to like okay Mm -hmm. where are we showing up where are we popping up is it festival is it a k-beauty event like where can we actually be authentically a brand but also provide a space where people feel safe and comfortable not just from a dollar standpoint um very powerful yeah that's my thing i'm like i'm i want to i want to know and people get so nervous we're working on it i'm like okay well when you guys fix it and call me (laughs) (laughs) Next, we're going to hear from one of my all-time favorite, favorite makeup artists and just beauty professionals in general, right, Issa Flowers. She is incredibly accomplished. You've seen her work on women like Zendaya on the cover of magazines. She works with Pat McGrath 
as accomplished as Raisa is when she is backstage, whether it be at Fashion Week or at these top editorial shoots, she still has to deal with racism. She still has to deal with people having lowered expectations of her as a Black makeup artist. And she talks about that beautifully on the episode. When you're a Black makeup artist, you have to be so prepared and so ready because already people think that you might not be that good at doing makeup because they're not they're not used to seeing you Mm. around so they're used to seeing like white makeup artists or whoever there but they're not really seeing like i remember some a model was like you're like the first black makeup artist i've ever worked with really yeah and i was just like damn you know and and it's not saying that all black makeup artists do what i do and they they are like the same realm as mm-hmm. me but it's just sad because i feel like that's that's re- it just breaks my heart in a way because it's like wow these girls don't see the reflection of themselves when they're doing these things yeah and it and it hinders their trust because i know a lot of times when i see models and they're very untrustworthy with the way they want and someone. you and you mean models of color right yeah yeah because they've models. had their skin really messed up yes. before so they're just very like they know what they want and they know how they want to look and they want to make sure that you have the things so if, especially when i everyone i come prepared if i work with a white girl asian black indian whichever you i come prepared because yes. i know what i have in my kit and i have enough supplies but it's just like it's unfortunate a lot of these girls go to a shoot and then they go and their makeup looked ashy or they didn't feel like they looked good. I worked with one of the biggest supermodels in the world the other day. And then I she love was these qualifiers without the names. Okay, yeah. We'll imagine. Yes, we'll imagine. You'll see it. You'll see it. It's coming out <laughs> soon. And well, she was just like, dang, you're like one one of the first makeup artists I've seen had so much range yes. for her dark skin. Yes. And she was blue almost she's blue black almost yeah so it's just like wow i've never seen anyone like be prepared like yeah i also want to take a moment to acknowledge the stories that come up about loving ourselves and coming to terms with our own beauty here's what the incredible julie wilson formerly at essence now at cosmopolitan had to say in claiming her own beauty I'm a size 16 black woman with natural hair who's big and broad and takes up a lot of space. And I'm unapologetic about it. Take me or leave me. I wear right. false eyelashes, like, <laughs> but I'm dope as fuck. And now we're going to get to one of my absolute faves, Mandy Harris Williams. Please listen to her full episode and follow her at Ideal Black Female if you just want an education. She is so smart. The the Harvard just jumps out as she speaks. Um, She's on another level intellectually. She's also an artist and a thinker, and she's also just down to earth and one of the funniest people I've had on the show. But let's just take a moment to reflect back on some of the amazing things she had to say during her episode. Okay, let's get one thing straight here. I write about desirability politics and the very real ways a body and persona like mine is not market viable. I write about feeling undesirable and unfeminine. I write about how money makes beauty and I ain't got no money. (laughs) I write about how that beauty in turn makes money. I write about lacking models of inspiration. I write about feeling underappreciated because of my physical appearance. 
I notice when I'm overlooked, when a porter helps a friend with their bag, not mine. I notice how y'all tend to socially congratulate Coke bottle figures and 3B textures and non-Black women doing shit that Black women would do if authenticity and realness were real concerns. I am vocal and keen to how aesthetic politics work, but y'all... I don't think I'm ugly. (laughs) I react to a political system of controlling notions of beauty that ultimately seek to undermine women's productivity and happiness. Some of y'all's so-called beauty is literally just embodied agreement to participate in aesthetic norms. Mm. I take my acute little tender senses and write sensitively. This is my vocation. Please, please, please tone correct in my comments and in my face from here on out and please 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 stop sounding so surprised when you see me and i'm attracting you the thesis is not that i'm ugly it's that we have a rampant raced gendered classed desirability problem for which i suffer material consequences that limit my success and sustenance the exercise is to demonstrate the double consciousness of being socio-politically undesirable while being desired. It's complex, I know, but honestly, if you don't get an erotic charge from what I post, please just spare me the flimsy performative admiration. Hashtag brown up your feed. You know, it strikes me that a lot of how I was raised was organized around one day procuring the ideal black male before Mm -hmm. I realized that like I was so not interested in like having that being a central organizing like element of anything um or like certainly you know i think there's like this nuclear familial drive Mm -hmm. um especially in like respectability black cultures Mm -hmm. and so i was like okay that feels like something i want to critique and i also don't feel like the ideal black female or woman like i i feel like the ideal black female is like maybe doesn't exist like it would be like a just a controlling mythology where mm. you could say oh well she's definitely lighter skin or she definitely has like this kind of hair or she definitely has this kind of body right and like so the specter that there could be an ideal black yes. female drives us towards yes. certain behavior yep and i think i would be far away from it just because we're within we're operating within white supremacy sure. right so i'm like dark skin my hair is you know pretty tightly curled and yeah like i've gone into situations where i am ugly really <laughs> oh yes but, okay i you're very conventionally attractive though no no <laughs> i mean you are, yeah. no 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 it's uh, i'm not i'm not like trying to be provocative it's just i think yeah. like objectively most people would say that you're conventionally attractive because i think you think dark-skinned black women are beautiful like i think mm. when you speak that mm. i'm coming from that lens okay interesting yeah, like you personally are clearly aware of that you wake up and know that every day i can see mm-hmm. it on you mm-hmm. okay <laughs> um so i think yeah, like from you, I think we can unpack that conversation to say like, yeah, well, between us, we know we the baddest bitches out right. here. <laughs> right. OK, I see. But then, you know, you go into a situation like I would. Mm, there are so many situations where I feel that I am like not even a woman sometimes. Mm. Like I was just in Martha's Vineyard, for instance, and I had been like driving 
No, yeah, I'd been driving. I drove up. I was in something super chill, super cozy. Probably had my hair like slicked back. Probably was wearing a hat. Like mm-hmm. I just like probably looked like a tomboy. Yeah. And this guy, we got we got our luggage onto the boat, and this guy like rushes over to help my friend, who's like blonde, slender, like curly haired, mm-hmm. white, and I had just like hoisted my back up. I was like <laughs> dog tired, you know. Yeah. And then he like rushes over and I'm like, huh. It's like, am I even here? Yeah. So that is a moment of being invisible, right? Right. Um, Or there are moments where like, you know, when I was 12, obviously this is a while back and I certainly don't groom myself in the same ways as I did when I was 12. But I remember when I, uh, at one point, uh, like these boys, and this is ironic because they did this about both me but they would like stick their chest out and stick their butts out and like just kind of like do this like act where like they were basically making our body type into a grotesque joke. Yeah. Mm. And I felt like an alien. I felt like so ugly. I felt like, oh, the Mm. literal shape of the entire center of my body is fucked up, you know? And that made me feel really ugly. Right. It, It, it uglied me. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. always think that anti-blackness okay. is intentional. Right. And I don't even think people always understand their anti-blackness. Like, I think some people, because they categorically have women who are black in their life, believe that they love black women. But let's say all of those women are 3B hair texture, right? Mm-hmm. So then the question becomes, well, what then do black women have to look like for you to love them? Mm-hmm. Do they have to have curly hair? Do they have to be half white? Do they have to be East African? Mm-hmm. Right. And then what do those preferences show about our particular American relationship to blackness? Right. Um, our particular American relationship to blackness is that there was a triangular slave trade that has a very specific history yeah. and a, a very specific um, code of who is excluded or erased or, you know, whatever the penalty for uh, being black is, right? Right. Because that's the way that they set up racism. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, we can use these black people, but we got to make them really bad. Yeah. <laughs> we got to make them really ugly. We got to, like, build up this whole vibe where they're, yeah. like, not it, you know? Right. So that's our particular American racism. And then, of course, there's this experience of being mixed, right, of being mixed race, but identifying as a black woman. Hannah Bronfman reflects on this, and she's with her mom in this episode. I interviewed her and her mom together. Her mom is black. And in this clip, they reflect on growing up between two cultures. And Hannah's mom also weighs in on how she had to raise her children to understand their blackness in an all-white environment. I feel like Not that I'm really a first-generation mixed kid, but I'm a first-generation mixed kid in social media, right? So we're the first like generation that has a spotlight on us. And we've never really had the opportunity to speak for ourselves, but rather we're always reactionary, right? We're always reacting to how someone else views us or Mm. sees us. And I get a lot of comments and and a lot of people who say to me, like, A, you know, you're giving you know, girls, brown girls, a voice everywhere. But on the flip side, I get a lot of people who are like, oh, you're just turning it on here or there. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Like, as if like, as, as if like I'm choosing when to like, 
be, be black. black, right? As if that's an option that I'm given with, right? But it's, that's, yeah, that's right, your right. 365. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to always be on the reaction because someone always has an opinion yep. and being light-skinned, you know, it's like, I feel like you've told me so much about, you know, your grandparents who, you know, were on the lighter side and, or your grandpa, great grandpa, great grandpa. And, you know, the implications that Mm. come with that. And, um, you know, again, you know, she mentioned in the beginning, like raising us to know our two cultures. Mm -hmm. And by the way, it's not easy. It's not easy to understand that you come from two cultures that ultimately, if we go far enough down our personal line, Mm-hmm. It's like I come from, you know, almost like slaves and slave owners, mm-hmm. which is like a, a very hard mm, and yes. harsh reality to come to terms with. And by the way, I didn't choose that. Right. So like. Exactly. It's a lot. Yes. Which is which is why I was um, very, very. Um, how do I say this? Um, it was, it's beyond concerned. Um, I think that it was, I, it was my responsibility. Yeah, sure. It was my responsibility Mm -hmm. to make sure that you could know that one, you're a human being Two, It's very important for you to understand the responsibility of being a real human being Mm -hmm. to have humanity, to have compassion, Mm -hmm. to have empathy and to understand where you fit into the global structure. Yes. You know, because because our world, I felt, was getting smaller Mm -hmm. and so that your world was not going to be the the six girls that you were in school with or the. 15 mm-hmm. girls that you were on the swim team with, yep. that your life was going to end up being bigger than that. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you needed to understand clearly where you could fit in mm-hmm. to that world that's out there. I want to share a clip with you guys from my conversation with Sophia Rowe, who's such an incredible voice in the wellness space, but just her frustration with sometimes being selected as like the sole voice of a Black woman in these wellness panels, in these spaces, and also to hear from Trinity, the founder of Gold, that's at G-O-L-D-E, an incredible brand about some of her frustrations being a Black woman in wellness. It's very simple to add diversity to whatever um, branding or programming. Mm -hmm. You just need to see when you're looking at an image what's missing. Yeah. Instead of looking at what is there, look at what isn't there yeah. and put it there. Yeah. It's not just being a woman of color. It's yeah. about the trans community. Yeah. It's about older women. I'm sorry, ageism. Why am I never seeing anyone over 60? Right. It's, 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 there's a lot yeah. of, you know, also like even like, um, uh, like the plus size community, like there's a lot of different conversations for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about calling that out. Everybody has to repurpose at some point. No one's perfect. Everybody has to innovate. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that I think I'm trying to encourage that as much as possible. Nobody's yeah. perfect. I'm not saying everybody should be. Um, but I'm sick and tired being like people's like woman of color on the panel. And I'm, that's laughable that I'm yeah. your like token woman of color. You right. know what I mean? Like you, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's there, there needs to be like a, a beautiful, 
like Abena, Henna Henna Beauty, like a black yes. woman here. She has a different narrative than you of have a course. different narrative yeah. than me. Has a different. We yeah. all have different I narratives. Mean, We're not like, oh, we've got the one black girl. She can tell the black girl experience. Of course, she can tell course. the black girl story. Like, nah. Yeah, <laughs> we know. all have different stories. Just like I y'all, know. everybody else has a different story. I think sometimes the, the thing that is most exhausting about it is that um, the industry is mostly um, white women, and I think that there is sometimes this like misguided sense of like camaraderie because like we're all women Mm. but like the black female experience and the white female experience are very 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 different very different yeah and i like i feel like so often i wonder if you get this too where like a white woman will be like yeah like i totally get it like as a female founder you're like you don't fucking get it and then there are women in fields where they are really one of so few black women I interviewed 19-year-old ballet dancer Deja Poole. She was at the Alvin Ailey School of Dance when I talked to her. But just about her experience just growing up, wanting to be a dancer, a ballet dancer, and being a Black woman. And it's hard because you get looked differently. You might not get a spot, you know, and you're in a room as like the minority, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's hard. It's hard. And my uh, second studio is called Chicago Multicultural Dance Center. And it was a lot of us African-American students. So he pushed on wearing flesh tone tights, flesh tone ballet shoes, you know, hair still needed to be slicked back in a bun, but it didn't matter if you had twists, natural hair. So, you know, it just didn't matter. And I love that. I'm happy that I got to experience that because I have been in that space of just being the only African-American mm-hmm. girl in the room and my body is different. So they're yes. like, you need to lose weight or you need to look this oh way because this is not the the look of a ballerina. And that's wow. not fair. You know, I honestly feel like I have grown mm-hmm. to accept myself. And like my body, because it's hard when you're around people that's like pushing you, mm-hmm. like pu- pulling you down in a way. And they're like, you need to look this way or yeah. you're not going to get this yeah. spot. And it's hard. And I actually my mom told me a week ago, she's like, you have to accept yourself in order for them to accept you, you wow. know. And that hit me. And I was like, you're right. Because I'm like, I do feel like I'm accepting myself. She's like, no, you're not all the way there yet. Yes, I need yes. you to be like 105 yeah. percent. Yeah. Because then they can look and back off in a way, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm breaking that barrier and I'm inspiring young girls and like other dancers that's out there. Like you can do it. It doesn't matter the size. You don't have to fit that mold. I can still dance. I can still like, you know, do exactly what a a much smaller girl can do. Yes. That shouldn't define. You can't define me over my body. Right. It's also important to note that this isn't just black women in the U.S. having these experiences. Tali, who I absolutely love, she is a host on a fabulous podcast out of the UK called The Receipts Podcast. She shares her experience growing up, her Nigerian upbringing, but growing up in the UK as a Black woman. Let's hear from Tali. When I first moved to Essex, so that was when I really realized, because when I lived in East London, it's quite, there's a lot of Black people there anyway, mm. so it's fine. I didn't feel other, all of my close friends were Black. So it was, and so it was then, then that was the first time I ever felt like, oh, am I uglier because I'm Black? Mm. That was a fact. Before that, thankfully, because of how my mum is, she's always brought us up to be like, you are beautiful, you are stunning. Again, it's probably like a Nigerian arrogance thing that who's better than you can be? How dare anybody try <laughs> to be better than you? Like, yes. of course you are the best. So that's kind of been my upbringing. So it was only to then that I was like, oh, and then I remember that was when someone like first mentioned me having big lips. 
And oh. I was like, I wasn't aware that I had big lips right, before that. Right. And I was like, oh, look at your bubble lips. Look at your big lips. And oh, I was just like, and these girls probably have injections today. Do it now. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So it was kind of like, oh, I didn't realize I had big lips. Okay, this is a thing that I have to accept now sort of thing. Thankfully, I'm quite confident and I've got a big mouth on myself. And also, probably quite bad. I was like, you know what? If I can show that I can beat anyone up, no one can say anything bad about me. <laughs> I was just like, if I scare them oh to God. believe that you literally cannot talk bad about me and kind of like, be, I guess it's like, I've never even been to prison. It feels like prison mentality <laughs> of like, I have yeah. to be the head of it here. Yeah. So once I'm the head, no one messes with me sort of thing. So I kind of like stated my claim very early on. I was like, oh, I will fight. Like yeah. if if that's what we have to do, yeah. that's what we have to do. So yeah. I quickly took on the role of the strong black girl. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and I guess that role leads to so many other problems growing up as well. But I took on that role very quickly and I was like, you can't talk about me because let's walk. Like, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm not going to go home gonna and be. cry. Yeah, exactly. You'll and go home crying. I have this memory in my head. So I was in a friend's house. I'd moved to Essex and I'd made friends, thankfully. And I was in my friend's house. I was in the garden. She was a white girl. And we were just making daisy chains. You guys know daisy yes, chains? Yes, yes. Just in the garden making daisy. It was it's such a cute, innocent thing. And this woman, and her mum comes in and her mum says hi. And then she sees me. She's like, oh, hi. And I was like, oh, hi. Because I used to pick us up after school. So I was like, hi. And then she says to my friend, she's like, oh, she's pretty for one of them. <gasps> yeah. One of them. Wow. So it, was, it was the one of them. So that was the first time I'd heard it. Hopefully in hearing all of these conversations, you can better understand why so many Black women feel the way that they do about cultural appropriation, right? Here's Crystal Anderson. She works at Man Repeller, but she's just an overall joy to follow. She goes by beer bottles and chainsaws on Instagram. She's so funny and just a ray of light and has like the best style. But here she is talking about white women wearing braids and baby hairs and why it's really hard for her to just accept it as a fun way to style their hair. Controversial question. How do you feel when white women do it? Fuck no. (laughs) No, because the thing is, I, I know. Am I allowed to curse? Of course. (laughs) Go off. I love that you just go, the thing is, no. No. Um, Because like, I've seen this conversation before where like, mm-hmm. where white women are like, oh, like I'm pulling my baby hairs out. And I'm like, just, can we have something? Can, can, can we have anything? Can we just have baby hairs? I like, know. You have, like, just give us that. Give us that. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing from all of these incredible Black women 
I love us. I will continue to amplify our stories. Thank you all for listening, for continuing to share this podcast. You have all helped to grow this show. I'm an independent podcaster doing it out of pure passion. And I really have all of you to thank for the success. So continue to share the show with people. If you want to show support, please take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And please, please, please take care of yourselves. Self-care is so important right now. Take deep breaths, stay moisturized, drink lots of water, rest, rub natural oils all over your body, do what makes you feel good and find your joy. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 